I have no idea how that happened. This is Psychotherapy. I'm Jet Dunlap, and this is episode 65. I have no idea how this episode ended up running as long as it did, but it did. And I don't know if I'm going to break it up into two episodes, but if you're listening to it, uh, you'll find out soon enough. If you need to listen to the second episode, it'll be up right after, so don't worry about it. Right now, it's one episode. I let you into the world of the world of Jet. I talk about how I recently was very honest about my sobriety uh, in social media to certain people. And I also talked to you about an audition I did for a giant network TV show and how I felt about that before, how I felt about during it, and how I felt about it afterwards. But I also jump back in time to tell you about when I fell in love with the film and television industry and how every time I go on set, every time I do anything in that business, how I carry the fact that I've wanted to do this since I was a child with me, uh, that pressure, or that just passion for it. And every time I feel there's any kind of opportunity to really capitalize on being closer to the show and more consistently a part of the show, the global sense of it being in film and television on a full-time basis, the closer I feel to what it is I have wanted to do my entire life and the pressure that goes along and everything I just said. So I take you into the world of my sobriety. I take you into the world of my audition in great detail. And if that's something you believe you will enjoy, please continue to listen. And if it's not, listen anyway, because you know what? You may learn something. I am Jet Dunlap. This is Psychotherapy. And that episode starts right now. The other day, my uh, brother and I were working at the gym. His uh, hours have changed at uh, his job over there at Trader Joe's. And so he's able to work out with me. And I'm able to bring a guest to my gym. Here's some superfluous uh, information. And uh, so I bring him to my gym and we work out. And it's lovely because at this point, we're actually matching each other as far as uh, workout habits. I'm lifting weights. He lifts weights, works out, been doing this weightlifting stuff for <laughs> since I was 16 years old. I'm not sure if I perfected it yet, but uh, it's still something we enjoy doing, and we got to do it the other day. Afterwards, he says to me, you know, I'm going to go over to Stony Point and take some pictures. Both of us have very fancy cameras. I won't go into it, but I will go into it because, you know, I'm going to. I have a Canon EOS R, and he has a Canon uh, 5D Mark IV, and I also have an 80D, and he has a 6D um which is some good stuff. We have some good lenses too. So we're like, hey, why not? Let's do it. Our father has uh, probably all the cameras we have, plus all the lenses, and uh, he never uses any of them. For some reason, he is just satisfied in the ownership of these products, which is unusual. And I've mentioned this in other episodes. And maybe we'll take a deep dive into that at some other point. But that is a tale for another snail. So anyway, we decide that we're going to go and do some photography right up the street from me. So I say, hey, why don't you come to my house and we'll go for a walk. The weather has been nice. It's in the mid-70s. It's about maybe 75 to 78 degrees out here in uh, northern <laughs> northern San Fernando Valley, adjacent to Los Angeles and Los Angeles County. So we walked down there and uh, we took pictures. I brought the wrong lenses, which is a funny trait of mine. I thought, let me bring my most expensive stuff, not thinking that the place we're going to go to had to be a wide-angle situation. I just thought, I'll bring my nicest stuff. And I did that, and I had some pretty lousy pictures. Some were okay. We took some pictures of the train that was going by. And uh, 
and it was fine. Watched some people boulder, some rock climbers. And you're thinking, Jet, are you telling us this story for a reason? And I'm pretty sure I am, but I'm going to get to it. <laughs> but I'm going to figure out in a little while. I think that uh, I took some okay ones. He took some pretty good ones. Point of the story is that I spent $650 when I worked at McDonald's. If I take you back to the time before time when I was a lad. And uh, I worked for this guy named Mike Tech. And he had this video camera. And I wanted to do skateboard you know, videos. And my buddy Chris, his dad, was very generous. Bought him this incredible camcorder. The same one that uh, Marty McFly had in Back to the Future. Much earlier. But I ended up getting a smaller 8mm one that had all these different cool features. You can only look through the eyepiece. There was no flip out screen. But uh, had a lot of advantages including size and so i do skateboard videos chris and i would constantly do movies the reason i mentioned that is even at the age i think about 15 and a half maybe 16 i spent over 600 dollars, and my boss had just taken out my paychecks because i love this i love capturing moments that is what i fell in love with it's still a bond that my brother and i have it's something my dad did um he doesn't do it for very odd reasons but uh, i think i mentioned that i don't really consider myself a good photographer i've been taking pictures on SLR cameras since I was about 17, and that was on film. I was absolutely terrible at it. I would constantly uh, go through an entire roll of film only to find out I hadn't loaded it right. This was something I did all the time. I'm very special in my ineptitude at these kind of things, and uh, <laughs> at least there I am gifted. There's, a, you know, we could run down the laundry list of reasons, the ADD, the dyslexia, the who knows. All my neurons not firing, or maybe I'm just a dodo bird. But I would get so frustrated because I'd do all these shots and then the uh, the thing would come out poorly because I didn't load it right or I exposed it or something stupid. That's another thing I do. So I was pretty sure I didn't load the film right, okay? And then I'd look at the film, I'd expose the film if I did load it right, and either way I was screwed. And this was a lot of money at the time. But I learned how to shoot on it, you know, a uh, 35 millimeter SLR. And, uh, I didn't really understand exposure. I didn't, uh, ISO was chosen for you because it was in the film, but I, I didn't I didn't really get manual focus or anything like that. No one ever taught me. I tried to take a photography class uh, at my college, but it was just always first come, first serve. And for some reason I never got in. No one ever taught me. Even though I worked with a lot of people who knew it, they were never very generous. The people I did second shooter for, I would usually, usually shoot on automatic or I'd go into some kind of setting on my camera where I could uh, adjust the light but not have to worry about the uh, autofocus. I ended up teaching myself later just because I spent a lot of time on the barrel, as they call it. But it was interesting that I never got a mentor in it. And so I have a kind of mixed relationship with it. I have one little oddity. That's a lie. I have many, many, many oddities. But one of them is that my absolute best pictures I've ever taken, I don't put anywhere on social media. And it's not because... I'm afraid someone's going to steal it or use it somewhere else. That's fine. That doesn't bother me. Um, it's because I don't want them to be judged in my brain as, <laughs> or be judged by me as how many likes they get. And so my absolute best photos I kind of hide. But even the ones I put on social media that uh, are shots that maybe I've been pursuing, because I do almost exclusively nature photos, Maybe it's a shot I've been pursuing my whole life, you know, like the bear photo I took or the hawk photo I took. It's the things I've chased since I was a child. Even back when I had my 8mm camera that was video, I would go around. I would never, oh, I never left it. So even when we climbed Mount Whitney when I was 18 years old, I put it in my pack. 
even though it was so big and heavy, I knew I had to document getting to the summit. Same thing that happened when we uh, went on this last trip, this last June, right after I, before I started this podcast. I always want to be able to document it. And I think that's what's more significant. Right now, my phone has 33,000 pictures. And as I say that, I realize that it's not just the visual documentation. I mean, that's why I've kept a journal uh, as long as I have since I was 13 years old, because uh, I always felt there was significance. I always felt, I guess, that there was something to what I saw. And even though I may be less technically good than a lot of people out there, and there are certain people who just have a unique way of looking at things that are much more artistic, I, I don't no, I think in my creative writing, I might be considered artistic. I don't, I don't, I've always kind of steered away from that, that title, um, because that is not what you want to be when you were a kid in the 90s in the Valley. And uh, what, of course, I mean by that is like 2002, because I'm 30. But, uh, you know, you want to be tough. When I first moved to the block when I was a kid, I got punched in the face. It was just an initiation thing. High school was about the same. Um, got in a lot of fights. So I only say that to say that, uh, being artistic was not something you would ever consider yourself. The first time I ever heard it said about me when I was an adult was probably like three or four years ago. It was very funny to me. My wife and I were at my friend uh, Rich's uh, daughter's birthday party. And he's Jewish and his mother and father are very uh, typically East Coast Jewish people, which was great and in no way racist. So get back you. And yeah, this is actually an appreciation. And I'm going to do an impression of her. And she's talking to my wife. And she says, so, you know, with my husband, he uh, he loves the sports. What is, uh, what is, <laughs> does this sound like uh, some kind of impression that Mel Brooks would do? Anyway, so she says, my husband loves the sports. How do you get uh, Jet to stop watching the sports? And my wife says, to my complete and utter uh, <laughs> horror, I had never heard in my entire life. I had been a martial artist for a long time, got to the third degree black belt in Kung Fu Sansu. Um, I'd done a lot of things to be as manly as possible, including rock climbing and weightlifting. And even when I was distance running, it was very manly. <laughs> and that was an important thing to me as a kid. So what she said next really uh, disheartened me. She said to my friend, uh, his mother, she said, so how do you get Jet to get off the sports on the weekend? And she did pronounce it sports. So uh, even if I'm not correct in the rest of it, that is how she said it. Uh, and Gina says, oh, Jet doesn't watch sports. He's more of a liberal arts guy. He's, you know, he's artistic and he, you know, he prefers like blah, blah, blah. And she went into this thing and I was just like, I turned red. I overheard this and I couldn't believe it. Like he's more of an artistic guy. He's more of a liberal arts dude. And I'm like, well, what liberal arts? I'm, I, <laughs> I, all I cared about was money in my 20s. I was a hustler. I went to meeting after meeting. I had three or four jobs meeting after meeting to learn how to be a better one. You know, that kind of boiler room stuff I used to do. I'm a snapping necks and cash and checks kind of dude. And, uh, and it shocked me when I heard that, that I was some kind of, I didn't even ever think of acting as an art. I never thought of photography as an art. I always thought of photography as a math equation. You know, get the right framing, get the right picture. Uh, when science gives you the right clouds for nature. Again, these are nature photos, so it's kind of set up that way. And the more pictures you can take in sequence, when I first got my DSLR that could take photos without using film, that's when I stepped it up to a new level. But I don't really understand what's a great picture and what's not one because I never really get feedback based on uh, if it's better or worse. Like some people might, people love pictures of Gene and I, right? And uh, <laughs> and those are usually not taken by me. But my photos of like nature play to crickets. And when someone appreciates it, I kind of just, I shrug it off. So I've had a couple of people ask me if they could buy prints. I ignore it. 
I have had people who said I should publish it in certain things and send me links. I ignore it. I don't know why. I think one of the reasons is that when I was doing photography professionally, doing some red carpet stuff, I didn't like the idea of people choosing my shots um, because I thought I had a better idea. It was better. Who knows? That sounds glamorous uh, more than anything else. Didn't this start with me and my brother taking pictures? Yeah, well, it led to this and that makes sense. That's how the show is. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird relationship there with that whole thing because it is something I love it's definitely something that I got into the industry for when I was a kid they called me Big J the cameraman no one can see him gets all the action when we go out on our little missions now when I say we used to call us that uh, I mean that's what I used to call myself we made countless movies and uh, it was a lot of fun and I loved being able to capture those things I did this technique um, then I, I'm sure other people do, but I would keep one eye open and one eye in the eyepiece so I could peripherally look at what my uh, wider shot could be, but then I'm also staring into the eyepiece to figure out you know, what the shot's going to be captured as. And uh, I went away from that for a little while when I was doing my own acting thing, but then I had to go right back into it because no one was ever wanting to make films or I wasn't getting auditions because I was dyslexic or I didn't know how to break into the industry. So I'd buy cameras that were way too expensive just to get my own shots. Uh, I bought the XHA1 video camera so I could do my hosting stuff, so I could get more stuff out there and uh, present more of what I believed I could give to the world. Then I went into DJing, uh, emceeing, just so I could be out there more and meet people who could say, hey, Jet, you should host this show. I figured I'm in Hollywood. That's another way to try it. Did this for tens of years. Double tens? What's that? Tens? Ten of years? Ten of years? Something like that. And, uh, and then I sincerely tried acting with an agent. Is that where this is going? Yeah, I think so. And eventually I found out that there was an X factor out there that was, have you ever had anything in your life where you just feel the force that is working against you is so great that to continue would be just to run yourself to a point that would end you? That's where I was. And, and I mean that. I was... I was in having some dark days. I was sober during that period, six years. And uh, going out there and just giving it my all, going to all the industry nights, going to any networking thing, passing out my cards to everyone, um, auditioning. And finding no success in that was very tough. And then doing background acting and not getting into the union thing. Finally getting into the union thinking that would be a, a real break. And I don't want this to seem like it was depressing. It was, crushingly. <laughs> I don't want it to seem that way because the show was going in a direction I didn't want it to. So the photography the other day with my brother was great. I took some pictures. I put them up. People like them, blah, blah, blah. But all of this is going to a point. And here it comes. Are you ready? I hope you're sitting down. I was called the other day and they said, hey, Jed, are you available to do this audition thing? And I said, I was with my brother. I was texted. And then I said, yeah. And then they called me. I said, yes, I can do it. Uh, is your look the same? Yes. Do you still have the mustache? Yes. Uh, are you available tomorrow? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. And the role was for a, it just said like something about pajamas and, uh, and that it was going to be for the show Superstore. I've had a lot of things happen in my last week that were so beyond coincidence. It was insane. And I am so guided by my extrasensory perception that if there's a situation where I have a feeling and it is so strong, I will change my plans. And in most cases, I guess the thing that was kind of like poking at my brain, that was this instinct or intuition or whatever it was, ends up being right. 
where I guess something's going to happen next, and it does. I don't want to use examples yet. I'll do that when I have other people on the show who can lend credibility to it because it's just me talking about myself right now. However, the reason I mentioned that is when I found this audition for Superstore that just came out of the blue, not from an agent or anything, I thought, wow, that's something. Uh, the way I got introduced to the show, if you watch it, it's pretty funny. Uh, I think it's on Fox. <laughs> and if not, I don't know what to tell you. But um, the first time I saw it was when Gina and I had just gotten through with our wedding. Gotten through with it, right? That's what you'd say if you had a great time. And uh, we went up to Santa Cruz. Definitely, definitely not our honeymoon. And wow, I'm going to get real with you guys for a while like I did on Facebook recently. Uh, I got wasted the whole time we were there. Like we were there for a week in Santa Cruz. And this was the beginning of July. And what we watched was whatever my aunt had on her DVR. And she introduced to us uh, to the show earlier. Um, Superstore, and we really liked it, and then my aunt really liked it and showed it to us, so I thought the wasted part didn't really have a point other than the fact that I was so drunk that I would wake up and not know if it's day or night, and that was a problem. Have I ever mentioned that, that I uh, had a problem with alcohol? I, I want to do a show soon on that specifically. I think I'm at a place where I can do that, uh, being over two years of sober this time. You Remember, I was six, six years sober before that, before I decided to start drinking for two years. Of course you remember that, right? You have this on your calendar, my schedule of uh, <laughs> drinking and not drinking. Anyway, so it was a special show to Gina and I. We still, it's one of the few shows on network that Gina and I still watch. Uh, we watch it on Hulu. You needed that information, right? And uh, one of the things I was going to do on it was a part of the show that we really like, something that we think is funny, that's reoccurring. And I was going to be one of those guys. And so I did something that I try not to do. I told you a long time ago, I almost got a role in a Marvel TV show. And I was like third up. I won't even tell you what it was, but um, I didn't. And the problem was when I got back to like the third or fourth callback, I had hope. In most cases, I don't even think about hope because, uh, you know, it's it's disciplining your disappointment. I've learned to do that when I was in commission sales and uh, just living a life that I have. I am not apt to get false hope. Um, but in this case, I thought Superstore, this is weird, and they're calling me out of the blue, and it feels like a good thing. I'm in a good place. So I find out when it is that's a late call, which is great, because old Dr. Jet Dunlap here does not like waking up early. Uh, you know those people who are always like, oh, my God, it's so great. You have more of the day. No, you don't. You go to bed earlier than me. And what is your day? You can have it. Um, <laughs> I do like daylight savings time, in case you're curious. But my brother and my dad are constantly talking to me about how proud they are that they wake up early every day. And that's because they have a job. And I say to them, no, I like to wake up when I wake up. I like to wake up when I'm done sleeping, right? So uh, it was a late call, and that was good. So I get down there, listening to one of my favorite books. It's coming to the end of a series, Stephen King's The Dark Tower, uh, which if you know it, you know it. If you don't, you don't. But it's, uh, it's his Lord of the Rings. So I'm listening to that again. And uh, so kind of a special moment in that book. Last time I listened to it is when I was first finishing up the hill that I dug out to put our RV. Pull up to Universal, which has some significance to me. I remember when I was a lad in third grade, I was in the jogathon, And that was, of course, you know what the jogathon is. At De La Salle School, where if you jogged enough jogs, <laughs> or, I don't know, laps, whatever. Laps? No one jogs laps. Dude, you were a distance runner for 10 years. Uh, what do you call those? Laps, right? Hmm. Enough times around this field, you would win prizes. And one of the prizes was you could go to Universal, which you also had to pay for. 
So that was weird. You had to like, you public school people got to go on field trips. The only field trips we went on to, you had to like qualify by winning something and then you had to pay. But I got to go to Universal Studios and I remember being on the backlot tour. Uh, for most people, that was the first time they ever went into a backlot. This is the first time I ever thought about this, but yeah, it was the first time I went on the backlot. I remember looking at the exact place that I was yesterday and saying, when I was there yesterday for my audition, I will be in that industry. I will be one of those filmmakers. Every time they talked about anything that had to do with filmmaking or directors, I knew that was what I was going to do. Not like thought it was what I was going to do or wanted to do it. I knew that is where I would end up. The irony there is that yesterday I was walking to set after wardrobe got me in my costume, which was not, it's a costumer, that's their job. It wasn't like I was a parrot or a clown. I was a parrot clown, I'm lying to you. No, I wasn't either of those things. They got me into wardrobe for my character and I got out of my trailer, which I do every day because I live in an RV. I'm walking over and I see the Universal Tram. And if you look like an actor, which admittedly I, I do, obviously, <laughs> I, I do that a lot. Uh, you know I'm not pursuing it right now. But there's the tram and everyone's waving and they get a big kick out of it. And I wave back to them while they're going through the back lot. And this is their only opportunity in most people's cases to see how the film industry works. Something that I am very jaded in because... Uh, I've been rejected and worked in it in a capacity that I haven't wanted to um, for so many years that uh, that I'm sad that it hasn't let me in. There, sad. I'm really honest right now because I'm tired and I might have a cold or something. I don't know what it is, but I'm just kind of out of it. <laughs> so I remembered when I was a kid and how I knew I'd be there on the other side of the tram and being inside there and going one day, that'll be my gig. So I go down to the audition and I guess because of the tram thing, I'm starting to get a little more positive which is what you want to do, right? You want to be positive when you go into a thing like this. I regret it now. No, is that what I mean? I don't regret being positive. I go in there. I'll just tell you how it was, all right? I'll just tell you how it was. I go in there. There's a bunch of background actors, and they're like, oh, my God, you get to be on the show. Wow, that's so amazing. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. I'm one of you. I didn't actually say that. But uh, one of the guys like, oh, I love your long hair. The other person's like, oh, yeah, you look like a movie star. He may or may not have said that. <laughs> and then I signed a bunch of autographs. No, you know, they were complimenting me, and I don't want to go into it. But um. Then the uh, assistant director, I think the first assistant director and then the second assistant director came over to me and explained everything, what the scene was going to be. Here's the scene. So we are in the, whatever the superstore is, Cloud Nine, uh, which is a combination of like Target and Walmart. And in my scene, I'm this single guy. There's me and another guy basically out for the part. And once they see me, they look at me and they go, eh, you might not have been the right choice. You're a little handsome. And uh, what they meant by a little handsome was unbelievably handsome. I think I'll put the picture on this episode so that there's no... So you, when I say that, guys, I want you to understand that I'm talking about it as if you would talk about something at your work, right? So this is this report is inaccurate or something like that. The reason I say I'm a little handsome right now is because my specific look just happens to be uh, ill-equipped for the role. This was the role. So it's a guy who comes over and he looks at a his and her pajama set. And the pajama set is for Valentine's Day because that's what this episode is. There's no ambiguity here. It says his and hers on this outfit on a big stand. And there's two mannequins. We pull the card up, not we, one of us. And we see the his and hers and we decide, uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the his. And then someone talks to us and we say, no, I'm just, I only need the his, I don't need the hers. And the joke is that it's a uh, it's a day player thing. It's under five lines. And the joke is that we, not we, the person who gets this role is single and can't get 
a girl for Valentine's Day, so he liked the pajamas and just rips the uh, the set. So basically, I take the hangers and I rip the hers part off and I put it back on the the hanger, the the stand that is the display at the um, Cloud Nine, and then I walk away with his. And so that's what we're gonna do. And I'm looking around, and sometimes, like I said, I let my guard down and let myself get hopeful. Here's the thing. My family watches this. My aunt watches this. My closest aunt. And uh, very important to me as a child and took a special notice of me when I was young and helped me out. And when I lived in Santa Cruz, she was huge and just a big part. Not she wasn't huge. She was a very small person. I shouldn't say huge, but she was a big part of my life. And, uh, you know, like my Northern California mom. She watches the show, and I texted her, and I'm like, you know, I'm here at Superstore, and you know, this is not stuff a guy from LA does, but I'm like, maybe there's something to letting yourself have a little hope, you know, a little hope, Jet, for you, one listener, do you hear that? I'm even like, I knew I was going to call myself out for not even listeners, because I'm talking about not having that much hope, and then (laughs) listen to the, what is that? I don't even know what I want to call that, um. It's not a lack of confidence. It's just uh, negativity, I guess. So I hit her up and I'm like, I'm auditioning at this thing. We'll see what happens. So I already know that I'm probably not suited for the gig. The other guy looks very different for me. Looks definitely more of what the show is, which is a Midwestern dude in his, I guess, middle to late 40s. So I'm younger. And he is kind of dressed in a way. I had the costume and they're like asking me how what my size was. And I'm like, small if you want to fit form. And it looks great on me. I'm like, I look great. (laughs) It was very funny. And I think that when they picked me, it was because I had a mustache, but they didn't understand that that works for my look. And uh, I mean, they saw my headshot. I don't understand. So we sit there and I'm waiting there and I'm I'm in a place that I've actually watched a show of and it looks exactly like a Walmart. I mean, when you walk in there, most sets, there's like individual rooms with big lighting and uh, cameras outside. This is just like a giant, giant, you know, big box store and they shoot like people would shop in a big box store. Like, okay, we're going to go over to Men's Apparel. Then we're going to go over to, you know, Kids Sports or something like that, right? And uh, we're doing the last shot, we find out. I meet the director. I shake her hand. We talk for a little while. Uh, they show us the setup. And then they have the other guy uh, do the actions. They're like, let's run it through four or five times. And they run him through. He pushes the card over, tears the pack in half, both coat hangers puts their hers back up and goes away. Pretty pretty decent. I don't think this guy's done much acting. That's okay. He was a cool dude. And you'll probably see him on the uh, <laughs> Valentine's Day episode of the show. Now I'm standing back and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about eye lines and I'm thinking about, you know, I want to look at each mannequin to kind of show some expression before my lines and say with my eyes, you know, oh, I don't need that, that ladies. I don't need that woman's. Hit. I don't need the hers part of this. I only need the his. I'm a single guy. This is what I'm thinking, right? Which is so silly. But uh, it's what I'm thinking. And this guy just does exactly what they say. Grabs the thing, tears it in half, goes over, does his thing, and leaves. And uh, so they run him through a bunch of times. And he gets a feel for how it tears, talks to the props department. Then I stand back, and they get the cameras and set. Here's here's something interesting. So it's the last scene of the last episode. I don't know if it's for the season, but they're taking a hiatus for whatever reason, the team. So maybe it's mid-season. I don't know. So the cast and the crew and everyone are very excited. Oh, also, they get to take home, like, Valentine's Day stuff. So the cast and crew gets to take home flowers and all the candy. Everything that's Valentine's Day on the set, they get to take home. So they're very excited about that. So it's the martini shot is what we call it in the business, the last shot of the day, last shot of that episode. 
And so everyone wants to go home. So they start playing music in between the scenes. Everyone's kind of giddy and joyful. And, you know, they're just phoning it in because it's also Friday night. And I talked to Gina about this. I hate it when TV people or filmmakers want to go home for Friday night because, in my opinion, every shot is so valuable. And what they're doing is so incredibly important because they're putting something out there for millions and millions and millions of people to see. So show that kind of reverence. Also have a good time, but show that reverence. Anyway, they're trying to get through it. I'm not thrilled that I'm going second, which means last um, on my run through. So, you know, basically, I don't know how to describe this, but we both kind of got the part. We'd already been weeded out, but they're going to figure out which one of us they want to use after they shoot us. They shot both of us. So he goes with his four run throughs and then he does one run through that's being shot, just meaning they're like rolling on the rehearsal. So he does it fine. Again, just grabs it, rips it, goes off. No, no real acting. That's fine. I like the guy. I haven't mentioned that. <laughs> And then they let him do four. And when they let him do four actual takes, I'm like, there's no way they're even going to use me. And I'm like, did I do this to myself? I'm thinking to myself, I didn't have the hope that I'd be doing this shoot. I didn't, you know, think that I was, I mean, I didn't think anything. Uh, They tell me right when I get there that I'm a little too, whatever you want to call it, if not handsome, I'm inappropriate for this Midwest average dude look. Uh, You know, I still get paid. So I guess that's a good thing. But um. And then I'm like, I'm not even going to be used. Then I go in and they're like, oh, we'll do one with Jet. So doing, they've done like six with this guy now because they rolled on rehearsal. And uh, they're going to do one with me. And I'm thinking, did I do this? I want to blame myself. Every time I'm on set, I blame myself for not capitalizing on an opportunity that I didn't see. So I go back to the drawing board and I, I research more and I learn more. And there's nothing on that set I couldn't do. Maybe not sound, but everything on the camera from focus to running the camera, uh, they were using Ari Alexas. I mean, to assistant directing, to directing, to grip work. I mean, nothing complex, but I could do all of it because I've been around the business for so long. I say that to say that I've known every, I've, I felt I had to learn every facet of this business because I'm so passionate about it. And then I'm running my little lines and I'm doing my little eye practicing while the guy's actually doing it in front of me. Um, the guy who, you know, the same guy who's auditioning for the same thing, I guess. Uh, I was excited and I disciplined that. I get ready. I go out there. I have the cart. Here's 50 people watching me, three cameras on a show I watch. And they go, okay, action. Roll the cart. Pass the little uh, glass display that's on my left. Pass the uh, hers clothing on my right. And I'm rolling up. They haven't told me where to put the cart. He had. The, they told him because he had the benefit of the director earlier. And uh, I put the cart about where he is. And I go over to the clothes for any lines or anything like that. And I go to rip, because uh, the joke is, again, that I'm taking the his. I go to rip it, and it won't rip. I'm a fairly strong dude. And, uh, <laughs> and if I can't rip cardboard, something going on. Something wrong is going on. Something wrong is going on. And I try and rip it, and I try and rip it. And then eventually it rips, but in all the wrong ways. I try and put the hers back up. It doesn't look right. And I go off. Now, there's a lot of background actors in this scene, too. There's probably about 14 who are doing their crosses, which just means, you know, when you watch a movie, those people who just go across the screen who look like normal people, um, that's background artists or uh, actors. I can't believe I called them artists. And, uh, <laughs> oh, wow, uh, that's weird. So um, far from it. I've done that job plenty of times. So they're walking by and everyone has to reset. And they're like, oh, okay, what happened? And I go to the props guy and he's like, oh, sorry, you know, he taped, he had taped the cardboard at the top of the coat hanger that holds these two his and her shirts together and put it up for me as opposed to giving me a new one that could be ripped uh, there's supposed to be 12 extras by the props department that could be ripped easily which is what i was supposed to get but i got one that was taped 
guy before me, in the six he had done, even the one that was in rehearsal, he fully ripped it. That wasn't the case. So I was kind of booby-trapped. Everyone wants to go home. They're listening to music. Like, okay, let's just do one more then, Jet. I go and I reset. And I'm like, don't worry about it. That guy didn't have that problem. This is a props thing. It's not your fault. I go in. They say action. It's all on me. Last shot of maybe even the season. And it's Jet Dunlap. And this is going to, you know, make the difference between whether or not I'm going to be on the show or not. I don't know why I'm there. Call it fate. Call it karma. I like to think things happen for a reason. It's a little Ghostbusters throwback to Vankman. Maybe there was something to it. I'm like, maybe there's a lesson in this. I roll my little card again past the counter, the glass counter to the left, like where they'd have the watch display. And in this case, it's where they have the watch display. Past the women's apparel, the camera's following me. The actors in, who are doing background are crossing. It's all on Jet Dunlap. Three cameras, each camera costing over $100,000 is shooting my face. I pull up, I put the card down. I tear the thing much more aggressively than I needed to, but I was anticipating it to be more difficult because the one I had set up before and I had no practice one, right? This is a physical thing that you forget is even acting, okay? I look at the mannequins, I do the thing, I take the his, it flies around in my hand, I say the thing to the, uh, to the. Uh, I can't tell you what I said because obviously this episode hasn't even been out yet, but I say the thing to the uh, background actor, I walk off set, and I go, that was not great. <laughs> and that's it, Martini, okay, everyone's gone. Um, with the last guy, they had like a little clapping session for him, they gave him an award, that's a lie. But, uh, and that was it, and I, I, uh, I was like, okay. Walked off. Um, the other background actors and all the other actors were waiting to get all these prizes. These They were giving everyone, like I said earlier, these um, Valentine's Day stuff that they were going to keep on set. And I'm like, I want to leave. I'm done. I go over to wardrobe. I'm like, can I just take off, get my paycheck and go, you know, sign out? Uh, now nah, you don't get your paycheck, but you sign out, Screen Actors Guild form, and uh, and you leave. So I go, can I leave? And they're like, oh, you don't want any of the food or whatever, free gift or flowers. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Yeah, everyone's lining up like it's a big deal. They're like, okay, cool. Go to wardrobe. I'm in the trailer and I'm changing. And I'm like, what was that, man? Like, I don't know. What was that all about? And maybe it's nothing. Uh, you know, maybe it's just wasn't, it is what it is, right? It just was what it was. And uh, I go in there, I change out of my clothes, which always sucks. <laughs> right? I ain't having to change. I, I'm a baby, okay, in, in this case. I don't try on pants uh, when I go to the uh, pants store. Yeah, the pants store. Uh, Gina will actually try on my pants and then just assume the differences uh, because our legs are similarly length, <laughs> a little shorter. She's 5'10", I'm 6'1", but uh, because I won't try them on. I'll just buy them, and if I don't like them, I'll return them. I'd rather do that than try on pants, and they changed me out of my entire wardrobe, so I had different pants on. Changing out, I take the jacket, I put it on the coat hanger, and I take the shirt that I was wearing, like a Henley shirt and the pants, and I don't put them on a hanger. And you can just leave them in there for wardrobe, but I walk them over a wardrobe. And I hand it to the wardrobe lady, and she goes, wow. She's like, you're the first person to ever do this. I've been doing this forever. And I go, what? She says, do this exactly right. You hang the jacket on a coat hanger, and you uh, you give me the clothes, because obviously they need, to, they need to be washed. And she goes, that's so impressive. Thank you so much. And she's like, how do you know to do that? I'm like, this is not my first rodeo. Because it's not. I've been doing it for a long time. And I go over to security. I sign out. And I just had that feeling. I mean, I think it was a part of the fact that the wardrobe person knows I've been doing it for a long time. 
you know, the first show I ever worked on was Friends. And uh, you'll never know my age because that ended in 2004, but it started in like 96 or something. So when did he start? When did he end? I'm 30, so do the math on that. But I've been in it for a long time, and I know the gig, and I've been acting for a long time. I went home, and I was driving home, and I was complaining to Gina when I called her on the phone. More about the fact that I thought that there could be more reverence paid to the median? Medium? Median? Media? I was just told which one of those this is, the word I'm supposed to use by Chris and Gina the other day. And I don't remember. Media? Median? Media? One of those. More reverence should be paid to the deal. Filming. And uh, I'm talking about how I wasn't even trying to act, but I got this thing. Anyway, long, 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 boring story, even longer and boringer. I was fine with it. You know, I have applied to the Directors Guild, and I hope that's something that comes up soon. But the lesson in it is this. Uh, Being an actor, being in film and television is a, like I've said before, um, it's something, these kind of, these kind of things go on in your life, right? Maybe it's just the trying on pants thing you don't like. But in my life, it's very cute. You know, you're never going to be on a network television show or probably not. Maybe you are. Maybe you're a person who's an actor and you listen to this and you're famous and you're like, Chet, you're an idiot. You should have done this. My point is, in most cases, the average person is not going to have experiences like this, not going to have the kind of pressure I had of making sure that I do everything right while a giant network show uh, and network, you know, directors and all these important people are watching me and counting on the shot. But it's that I get caught up in the idea of what I'm doing wrong and what I could have done right. When what happened happened. If it happened for a reason, great. If it didn't, great. I go home, I keep writing. I, I thought, if nothing else, I've got this podcast to tell people this, and maybe there's something that could be learned in that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and I still have, believe it or not, after all of that, I have a profound belief that my time in the position that I've always dreamed of at Universal Studios, working in the back lot, is fast approaching as a director. And as I keep writing and selling, you know, getting my screenplay sold, and I don't know why that's still there, but I feel something every time I go back there. It's a kind of, this is where I belong. Maybe it's just I've been around there for so long, but I felt that when I first walked in. So in spite of all that evidence, I still don't know if I'll get the role. Watch Superstore, the uh, Valentine's Day episode, and if you see me, you know I didn't. What? That doesn't make any sense, you maroon. If you see me, then I got the role. You know how that works? If I didn't, uh, then you won't see me. <laughs> anyway, I'm just trying to be real honest with my experience. You know, today I put on Facebook a picture of me when I was at my worst drunk, just in the sense that I was doing a photo booth shot at my friend Michelle's birthday party four years ago. And in between, when you think the sh- photo's going, I had this drunk face, just like drunk as, if you looked up drunk face, it looked like Nick Nolte's uh, mugshot when he got pulled over for a DUI. If you can remember that far back, look it up. Uh, I look super drunk. And then I put it next to my face now. And I said, you know, um, if you're thinking about getting sober, this basically let this serve as an example. And it shows how much healthier and how much younger I look, even though that picture is four years old. And, uh, and I said, if I can do it, you can do it. And that was just another one of those things. I see a lot of my friends getting more successful than me. Of course, those are the people I'm paying attention to. No one watches the friends of theirs that are less successful than them. Successful. Less successful than them because we don't judge against them. If you're me, if you're like me, you're looking at the people who are doing better. And I keep seeing these people who get opportunities that I feel I didn't. Uh, Yet, that now at this point in my life, because for whatever reason, I'm adjusted and uh, I actually feel good about my reaction. I say, 
here's what I'm doing and let me help you do it. And uh, fortunately, not only am I sober, but I help other people get sober. And that's great. And even after all that experience, I felt positive, even though you know from the beginning of this podcast that I've wanted this business, or I should tell you since I was a kid, and then profoundly when I was 13 and I saw Jurassic Park, I said, I have to work in this industry. Have to, have to, have to. I've never lost that feeling. And this industry is not like wanting to get into most industries where hard work and diligence pays off. In three or four years, five years, you're going to get it. And if you're willing to move, you can get it somewhere else. That's not the case with this. Um, there's a certain amount of other stuff that goes into it. But I'm not, I'm shaken but not stirred. That's not a saying. That's James Bond. I'm shaken but not blended. Uh, I'm not shaken or anything. I am not deterred for whatever reason. I am still determined because I believe that that feeling I've had my entire life is not wrong. And hey, until I said it right now, I didn't even realize it. And you're probably yelling it into your camera phone, you moron. Oh, yeah, camera phone works. Uh, <laughs> not you, the moron, me, the moron. Or you're a car stereo. You're yelling it, saying, Jet, you were on a network television show's set yesterday, and you were auditioning for a role on one of the more successful shows on television. It's hard to see it that way because it's taken so long to even get into the places I've gotten, and it's definitely earned because of how much work I've put in. But... uh it feels like things are mounting and going in a good direction. But I did want to share with you guys my disappointment and my feelings and my excitement all as they happened, as I promised on the last episode and something I've really been trying to do for episode, well, whatever episode this is, 65. But moreover, what I'm trying to do for season two. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Maybe there's something in there of value for you personally. And if not, I hope the story was at least interesting enough to capture your whimsy. <laughs> I'm Jet Dunlap. I'm out of words. And this was psychotherapy.